Hey, hey. So today on this episode of Amazing Moments in Cinema, I bring on for a second time, Kent Wilson. Kent is, for lack of a better term, a soundtrack and composing junkie. He is a huge music fan. He went to college and studied music, teaches music and dabbles and hobbies in uh, writing and composing of music of all shapes, sizes, kinds, and types. And he loves to talk. He like, he loves to talk about what makes great music in movies, cinema, and TV. So I love having him on. He has a, um, a very eclectic look at, at that stuff, uh, being music, composing soundtracks, things like that, and the instruments that it takes and the inspiration and the way that people look at it and uh, execute it and get it done. So we talk almost exclusively about Dune in this episode, and we go off on a couple of tangents that uh, are relevant and come back to Dune. And it's a really good conversation. Like I said, it's the second time I've had him on, and I hope you enjoy it as well and take away some valuable um, kind of takes or per newer perspectives on what music does for movies and cinema. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Kent Wilson. Hey. What's going on, man? How much? How are you? I was just listening to the Dune soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Which uh, obviously is the reason I asked you on today. Yeah. So did you have a chance? I know you were like, oh, man, I, I'm, I'm going to have to rewatch it. Did you get a chance to rewatch it? Yeah, I did. <clears throat> and, Sweet. Uh, yeah, it was, it was good. The first time I watched it, I was like, man, this is moving kind of slow. But then after the rewatch, I was it, everything kind of made a little more sense, like the buildup mm -hmm. made a lot more sense. Um, and so I had a little bit more appreciation for how they did that buildup to the end of the movie. Um, and setting up, of course, for like the next one that's coming out when next year or like two years or something like that. Yeah, I think it's early next year or middle yeah. of next year. Um, it's interesting you talk about the buildup because I was just formulating a thought as you were talking about that and explaining that is it's almost um like the music and the composure of the music it almost feels like two and a half hours of um crescendo yes uh -huh. like a culmination of because it starts out the music the composing composing or the composure, how, how would you say that? What term would you use for that? No, I would agree. I would agree. I would say, yeah, it, because until that last, <clears throat> until those last couple of battle scenes, you know, there's the one with Jason Momoa in the, in the hallway thing. Yeah. The hallway mm -hmm. thing. Um, and then the second one with uh, Tim Chalamet and the dude, and the other dude in the desert, right? Yeah. And they're circled or whatever. Besides those two, there's never really like a sustained loud sound. Um, I think, I think the first time he uses that voice or whatever, 
is like the first time we get this like suspenseful thing that they do music wise, but it's super short. Mm-hmm. And even in that, it builds and builds and builds and builds and builds until the very last possible second where you get a burst of sound and then, you know, we come, we come out of it. But there had, until those last like battle moments, there wasn't necessarily a huge sustained high level of sound coming at you and underscoring what was happening on screen. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And that brings up something kind of not really something, but like I have some thoughts that I wanted to kind of jam on you with, but before I get to those, um, I think it's interesting how Hans Zimmer, because he's the composer of the soundtrack for this movie. Mm -hmm. I love how he is almost like he's trying to swing for the fence every time. Yeah. When it comes to what he delivers in the sense of whether or not you've heard it before. Mm Mm-hmm. Last time we talked, it was I. We kind of touched a little bit on Interstellar, the way yeah. he kind of had that emptiness to his music, mm-hmm. and the thing that got me with the Dune soundtrack is it's very much the same. Like they spend a huge amount. I'd probably say fifty percent of the movie is spent in the open desert, and mm-hmm. it's even a theme in the movie where they talk about how dangerous it is how dangerous it is, how dangerous the people are, how dangerous the environment is and how it'll, you know, kill you because of the heat and all this stuff and the music, the job he did of that made it feel almost open air, if you will, the Mm -hmm. way it's long notes and just like strums and strings and sounds that just last a long time in sounds and music. So do you like, what is it that, people talk to me a little bit about what people what your interpretation or what you think it is that people expect out of the music or composing of a movie like this because there's also an aspect of dune being very epic yeah like i think i think dune might be one of the first true epics that we get and then in the Mm -hmm. past 15 years we've gotten you know, the whole MCU series, we've got Lord of the Rings, Star right. Wars is kind of coming back into that where we get these multi-series movies. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about the process, at least from your point of view of Hans Zimmer taking on this massive task because Dune is a cult classic and epic movie. I th- I think if, if there was going to be somebody to do Dune, I think they were correct in choosing Hans Zimmer because I think he's shown his his uh, his ability to score movies that um, that that get you thinking. Um, I, you know, I think he's shown his his ability to uh, like be able to navigate when there's not really a whole lot of action going on or there is a whole lot of action going on. Um, you know, I think of, like, may, I think for me personally, like the biggest, like Hans Zimmer 
Like besides, like the Lion King, right? We were all introduced to him with the Lion King, right? Which is like, okay. Um, but I think like his most substantial where you're like, oh yeah, this is Hans Zimmer are um, Inception um, and yep. The Dark Knight. Uh, because I think he does really well with filling space. He does really well with filling filling the space and there's always kind of a little bit of something happening even if it's really minimal it still is there and it still provides some type of foundation to like the rest of the movie um and so i think he would to me of of the major film score uh heavy hitters out there i think he's the one that makes the most sense when it comes to the type of movie that dune was absolutely Um, i think you know like he like another he, he's kind of, I mean, he's kind of like the second, like John Williams, if you think about it, like um, with his, with his ability to find different colors and textures that, that fit, uh, that fit the movie. Um, so yeah, I think, I think he did a, a phenomenal job and I, and I, yeah, I think, yeah, he was the right choice and and really kind of one of the only choices for the film as far as that's concerned. Um, he, yeah. he does, he tends to do for me, and I, I love your perspective on it because I hadn't really thought about it that way, obviously, because I'm not a music guy, but he does a, I can think of three movies that he's done where the music aids in kind of creating an edgy edge of this, like an edgy type of vibes just through the music, get mm-hmm. you sitting on the edge of your seat with anticipation and kind of like discomfort almost. Yeah. And I think do like the sound of some of the sounds of the dark night, particularly with the Joker. Mm-hmm. And then inception was the same way. And then Dune made me feel the same way where it's like, man, I'm like, not in a bad way, but, I just, there were moments in that movie where I was like, I'm uncomfortable watching this right now. And then you realize that it's like, oh, that's, you know, part of that is the music and his ability to create that uneasiness, but still some beauty in, in the context of the movie and the scene and what you're doing and what you're seeing and things like that. Um, It's what struck me about Dune. And then that's when I was like, okay, who get on the phone, Google it, you know, who's the composer? Oh, that makes total sense. Right. Yeah. So with something like that, what, what kind of challenges do you think? Okay. So let's say, let's say you're sitting down with, um, with Hans Zimmer and you're like, Hey, come do this movie for me and compose and do the, do the, uh, soundtrack for this, the score for it. What, like, what do you think? Actually, let's do this. Put yourself in his position. What challenges are going through your brain? If you're him, when they're like, Hey, come do this score. Um, I think, you know, they have, they probably, like I said, they probably approached him because they like, they wanted the similar sound that he put in like an Interstellar or an Inception or a Dark Knight or something like that. They wanted the similar sound, but yet the movie doesn't take place 
in the same environment. You know, you've got like Inception, which takes place in like the city, but like this dreamscape city. You've got The Dark Knight, which takes place in the city. You've got Interstellar, which takes place in space. And it's like, how do you meld your traditional sound and skill set of creating vast lengths of, of music and, and, and build up with the setting of the desert. And I think he kind of achieved that with using a lot of, um, so real, like really tiny, like, uh, like music history, music theory tangent. Um, in America, we have a certain set of, of music theory rules and scales and chord structures um, and harmony theory that we use to write all of our music. Um, but in other parts of the world, their, um, their scales, their harmony theories, their rhythmic theories are different. Um, and uh, one of the things that I really liked about Dune was that Hans Zimmer kind of melded Middle Eastern music theory and harmony um, kind of content with what he normally does with big, you know, big string sounds that take up lots of time and big swells and stuff like that. There's all like I think in the last in the last scene it kind of really stuck out to me where there's the big, you know, the big string sound wall of sound and strings and there's like little plucks of maybe a sitar or maybe a zither or something some stringed instrument that is uh, you know native to Middle East uh, cultures or Southeast Asian cultures um, playing they're playing a scale set that sits in their uh, in their music theory um, system. Uh, and I think that's really cool when when composers do that, when they when they take from other parts of the world to try and 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 make it feel somewhat authentic. I'm pretty sure you know the languages in dune are probably based off of Middle Eastern or South East Asian languages, um, the, 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 the names of people, the mm. hierarchy of that universe is probably set or based off of some. I'd be willing to bet a lot of the clothing as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I think it's really great when people do that and for him to, to do that, to like, to see, okay, this is the, this is where the movie is. So it would make sense that I, you know, adopt or, you know, reference some of these things to back, to score the movie um, is super important. The one thing that did get me that was kind of funny was like the only actual instrument that's ever shown in that movie is a bagpipe. <laughs> <laughs> At the very beginning, right? Yeah. And it was like so random. And I was like, well, what? I mean, there, <laughs> there might be, I think you're, well, to, okay. So to piggyback on that, you might be onto something there because the planet that they, that they come from is very, like, I was almost thinking like, oh, this kind of looks like Northwestern Europe. Yeah. Uh -huh. Very rainy, very wet, very lush, very green, mm -hmm. um, kind of like the Northwest where Pacific right. Northwest, where something like a bagpipe is really not all that. I mean, it, obviously it's not what you're expecting to see right. since 
every trailer poster and even the one from back in the 70s is you know about sands and it's named dune right um but it's like it's interesting that you caught that because it does like lay the groundwork for some context there and kind of that um authentic cultural kind of take on it if you will that's a good catch man that's a really i hadn't even thought about that that's a whole other and the only reason why i'm caught is just kind of it struck me as weird or it struck not weird but that's it just struck me as like oh okay that's different but then yeah. i also think about like the story of the movie how you've got this you know this dominion who's coming into this territory where they've been pretty self-sufficient and now they're trying to I think it was, it's spices right they're trying mm-hmm. to like it's uh, and that, i mean that's the other i mean you know art imitating life right where it's like you've got this like you said Northwestern European, Western America, Western civilization vibes coming from this one group of people. And then mm-hmm. you've got this Southeast Asian, maybe Northern African, maybe Middle Eastern um, vibe from this other country. And, and we're, we're dual, not necessarily dueling out, but you know, we're, it's over spices. And yeah. it's like, and I'm, and I'm sure that that's definitely what the goal was when coming up with Dune in the 80s is it is this from the 80s? i think it was either either late 70s or early 80s let me uh, let me look it up uh a dune original 1984 okay yeah that's yeah. later in the 80s than i thought but either way yeah also also interesting that it came out in 1984 but that's a whole other story <laughs> <laughs> i'm like it was like if the things aren't connecting and the strings aren't mm. if you're not putting the strings together then it's like okay that's on you but <laughs> I it was like mm, okay, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I you know it it was just kind of another layer that that uh, yeah to that, but yeah. <clears throat> well, it, it, so like I I get it'd be interesting. Talk to me a little bit about some of the instruments and how they relate to the sounds uh, that Zimmer put together, as because like. A lot of, you mentioned Northern Africa, Southeast Asia a little bit. Um, I picked up a lot of like, I went biblical with it when I saw, so the kid, um, his name I think is Adam. Um, When he first got to uh, Paul, Paul Atreides. So when Paul got to the new planet and he was walking out to see the guy watering the trees, I got a very like Babylonian vibe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that would be like Turkey. Yeah. Saudi Arabia, maybe a little bit of Egyptian kind of that Gaza strip type area. Which, you know, when, when you talk about biblical times and things like that and the crusades, that's kind of what I envision is that scene where Paul Atreides is walking through that, that kind of open yeah. area with the, the trees and all that. So talk to me a little bit about the instruments and what they sound like and how that relates to the sounds and the music and the composing that we're hearing. Because obviously we can't, as an American movie, we can't just listen to some of those authentic instruments from that area and mm-hmm. that kind of era, if you will, quoting fingers in the air. Otherwise it wouldn't vibe with us Western Americans. Like it just wouldn't make sense. We wouldn't have the connection there. 
And I don't think the movie would have been as successful. So talk about the instruments, the sounds that we're getting and how he kind of meshed those. Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the, one of the, one of the cool things is that, and like I was, I was reading up on, uh, there was an interview he did about like the, the composition of the soundtrack. And I think one of the interesting things is that he wanted there still to be this element of old world instrumentation with the futuristic aspect. I think they called it retro futurism, I think in the article, um, where there's like <laughs> this, I don't know, I don't know, it's like, okay. Um, Got some like, uh, la laser, laser fingers and like yeah. a rave going on. I was like, okay, like, sure, that works. Um, but he took, you know, the recording of these old instruments or instruments that we would know, cello, um, zither, sitar, drums, like various percussion instruments. Um, and then like, as you're playing them, the sound is, you know, you've got the person playing it, they're mic'd up to your, to the, they're mic'd up, you've got the microphone, you know, linked to your workstation. Um, and he's running everything through something called Cubase. And it's a, like a synthesizer program. Um, and what it does is it will like mask all those sounds to give them that synthy, like open ethereal sound to it. So it's like, I so instead of being, oh yeah, that's a channel, that's a this, that's a that, you're like, I think that's that, but the sound has been so morphed and so blended with everything else that you're like, I don't really know. And also, I think I was reading where he recorded it. Um, he recorded the, where he recorded most of the music was, the studio was a resonating chamber. So it wasn't like a normal soundstage setup where you've got soundproofing and you've got, um, you know, uh, sound shields and you've got mic shields and stuff like that. Every, all the sound is just bouncing from one wall to the other. And you're capturing that and then mixing that all together and you get that, that spaciousness. So instead of, instead of deadening the sound, he just let it reverberate, intentionally reverberate. Yes, right. Interesting. And, and like captured, like captured the very, like the very, the very raw, unfiltered sound of it, right? Not, it wasn't really fed through anything that was fine tuning it, but when it was fed through the program, the program was exploding it and like, and, 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 you know, expanding the sound versus fine tuning it like we normally do and we record stuff. That sounds a little bit like, and I know that these two guys have a relationship, uh, a, a professional relationship, but, it sounds a little bit like um, what Ludwig von Gorenson did with the Mandalorian. Oh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Where he had kind of picked it up. And I, I watched it after like a, um, one of those behind the scenes things on Disney mm -hmm. Plus where they talked about how he was just like, hey, I'm just going to pick up this instrument. And he kind of just started to strum some stuff together and then put it through some sort of synthesizer um, to give it that kind of artificially kind of sound, but still yeah. authentic to some of the you know, some of those older Western, uh, like, you know, cowboy-ish type sounds, uh, the plucking yeah. of strings, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. It is very much like that. And again, I, it's, 
you know, it's interesting that that, again, is another piece of film art, TV art, however you want to, however you want to call it, that's placed in a retro futuristic desert, right? And so kind of, it's, it's, it's kind of the, the, the starting point for a lot of people, I guess now you could say, um, if they're trying to, which is a really, and that's funny because Mandalorian, I know this isn't about the Mandalorian, but yeah, yeah. I think the Mandalorian is such a different takeoff musically from the main Star Wars films. Mm-hmm. John Williams is very thematic. John Williams is very old yeah. school Western com- composition. He's very thematic. Everything has a theme. There is, you know, bum, ba, ba, bum, ba, dee, da, da. you know that's a French horn, right? Yeah. You, like, like, you know, you know exactly what to expect. It's very thematic. It's very uh, motivic. Everything has a place. Yeah. Meanwhile, something like The Mandalorian, it, it, you know, it's very new. People aren't afraid to experiment and try to evoke typical emotions through new ways. Yeah. Um, it's funny because, I mean, not funny. It's just, there's a little bit of irony and humor, kind of ironic humor there because it's, so one of my other other episodes, I think it was either the last one or the one before that, I had uh, a, guy, a fellow come on named Jake Talver and he was on the, the panel, the Star Wars panel for Phoenix Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. And we talked about some of the motifs and thieves, uh, themes of old school Star Wars. And give me a moment, we'll get back to the Dune stuff. But I think there's yeah. a connection here where it's like a lot of that is a is the themes and motifs are set in the old westerns, like the Clint Easter, Clint Eastwood westerns, the John Wayne uh-huh. westerns, and some of the old um Kurosawa is a Japanese director who used a lot of like cultural and social themes and ideas relevant to the time to do yeah. the movies. And so a lot of Star, Star Wars are, is basically just Western movies in space. And it's yeah. <laughs> interesting that John Williams doesn't necessarily, his style doesn't mesh with that. I would almost make the argument that Ludwig von Gorenson does a better job of vibing with what that is. Like the gunslinger sounds and like the old Western sounds like a. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you've got those like that face off edginess to it. And, but for some reason, there's something there deep in the way that John Williams is doing it and the fanfare and those recognizable sounds that vibes with those Western Kurosawa type films. And it's interesting that you made the jump from Dune to The Mandalorian because it is a futuristic take on an old world. Yeah. And it seems like Von Gorenson somehow John Williams must have been able to do it just not not in the same way that Hans Zimmer and Gorenson did it where they make the jump from that old world to something a little more futuristic Mm -hmm. yeah yeah you're you're chewing on it yeah yeah I mean like there is and I, I think you're probably onto something there too with just the fact that I don't know, nobody knows who's in the rooms, but I don't know if they are trying to update the Western 
or update the, the you know the space film genre. I don't, and, and maybe that's where they're approaching it from, um, or or you know who's who's in what production meetings saying what thing to be a fly on the wall in production meetings would be amazing. Like just to see like what people are thinking. One hundred percent, that'd be super dope. Yeah, like I I I just think it would be it would be really really beneficial just to be like okay this is what everyone is thinking when when they make this choice. Um, but I I mean I would say that it's it's working because I mean there's still there's still an element that Goranson has of typical Star Wars like fanfare moments um worked in different ways. Um and and you know people can you can still catch on and say, oh okay, yeah, I know, I know what that is. Um that's one but of the reasons you have to listen. And 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 I think that's what that's what composers these days are now really trying to get people to do. It's like you gotta listen and yeah. you gotta be observant and you gotta be aware of of what's going on. Yes. That's one of the reasons that oh, I love flying into my window. Flying into your window? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like flying into my screen door. I was like, what is going on? The birds are attack. The I birds guess. on attack. That's one of the things that I love about music in movies and cinema as, as a whole, whether it's, you know, these, you know, multi, multi-episodal series that we're getting, or if it's just large scale movies is uh, music, I think is one of those things that is first off vastly underrated, mm-hmm. but um is also one of those things that is vastly kind of unknown, if you will. Mm-hmm. People just don't know what makes good music and they, they hear something. It's like, Oh, that's nice. I don't know why, but it's nice. Um, and I think it takes the best that like, I think that's one of the things that separates people who are good at music to people who are great at music is they can, they can, kind of bridge that gap and they understand what the like in in between the lines as far as what makes good music and what uh they, they kind of tiptoe the line if you will of going from um what's edgy and kind of cool to what's edgy and unknown and they're kind of paving their own way yeah. to create something cool yeah yeah right they're 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 you know, they're not necessarily throwing away everything that's been done, but rather they're saying, okay, how can we, especially if you are working on a project that has such longevity like Dune, like Star Wars, you know, how can I, how can I take what's already been done, bring my style to it and engage Classic fans, fans who've been, you know, fans for a long time, as well as newer fans coming up and showing, you know, people who are hoping to get into the film scoring industry, um, how to be a part of something that has longevity. Because, you know, with these dynasty franchises, I guess you can call them the Star Wars, the Bonds, the, uh, uh, the Harry Potters, the Marvels, you know there's always going to be something else that they can 
make a movie out of. There's always going to be another part to the story. Uh, and so you're gonna need new composers because these guys, you know, the John Williams, the Hans Zimmers, the Danny Elfmans even, the Desplats, the Gorensons, they're older guys. Um, and eventually they're gonna wanna sit, you know, on a beach somewhere and drink Mai Tais and not have to worry about, you know, scoring a three hour project. So how, how what's gonna be left for these younger guys coming up to, uh, to see and to use as a guide to their eventual turn in the chair, scoring the next, you know, MCU phase seven or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's, I mean, in, in to piggyback on what you're talking about there, I think that's one of the reasons that Hans Zimmer will go down as one of the greatest composers of all time, because he's always looking for that thing. He, if you do watch any interviews or read any of his interviews, he's always looking for like that, that, like that thing. I don't know. I don't even know how else to put it, but he talked about the Batman score and he's like, I wanted to bring something like something simple and clean yet suspenseful and dramatic. And he's like, I just, I don't even remember how he put it, but he's like, I just came across, came across these two notes that you put them together and it creates some sort of not a true crescendo, but a type of buildup and crescendo and release at the end of it, just in two notes. And now it's like, no, that's bullshit. And then you listen to you're like, well, I'll be damned. It is two yeah. notes. It's like the whole Batman theme, like, in that Dark Knight series, two notes, yep. that's it. And then yep. he talked about the same thing with, with the Joker. He's like, I wanted to create something edgy. So I just made, I took a, a cello and just, you know, strung it along in a very uncomfortable way and just mm -hmm. drew, drew it out. And um, then he talked about um, what other movie, Interstellar. Mm -hmm. where he's like you know how could i stand out and do something new and edgy that you know nobody else has done and and he's always it seems like just in some of the stuff that i've read about him he's just he's not gonna take a job unless he can unless he sees the potential to create something that has not been done yeah which i don't know that a lot of composers are looking for right now Right. And maybe, maybe that's just him. I, I, I mean, I don't know what defines a good composer or like John Williams's stuff seems pretty basic as far as composing goes. And obviously that's not the case because a guy just retired from an epic, epic career. Right. Um, but, you know, there's something there about the way that Hans Zimmer is searching for mm -hmm. gigs and jobs that are going to define him and as being like a pioneer or edge, like a, a trendsetter, if you will. Yeah, totally. I mean, the, and he's kind of etched himself to be, like he said, like the leader of innovative movie scoring. That's because, a good way to put it. <laughs> like, if you want classic, straight up, this is the mood I'm going for. And, and here's the thing, it's not for every movie, right? Like, if you, are, if you got hired to score a rom-com, you're not gonna go to Hans Zimmer asking him how, I mean, you might because Hans Zimmer has scored everything until he found <laughs> his niche in like new innovative movies that make you think because Hans Zimmer's compositional style is outside of normal whatever. But if you get hired to, you know, if you get hired to score a rom-com, you're probably gonna go like the John Williams route of like, okay, this is the mood, this is the 
typical compositional structure and sound and vibe that would fit this kind of thing, I might do something a little different than what I just, you know, use as an example in my brain, but that's the one I'm going for. But if you get another, you know, another movie that's set in this vast land, kind of like Dune, you're gonna go, okay, if I was Hans Zimmer, how would I, how would I do this? What's my, what am I gonna use to help me get the sound that I want without feeling like I've got to reinvent, you know, the wheel? Because that's the thing, Hans Zimmer didn't, he, there is, he did not come up with like new instruments. Mm-hmm. He just was brave enough to use things in unconventional ways. He reminds me of a composer version of that guy on TikTok that takes like the random, the random things around your house to make like Disney, Disney movie sounds. Oh yeah. yeah Have yeah. you seen uh-huh. that guy? Yep. Yeah. He kind of reminds me of that. Like just the way that he's always searching for things. Yeah. It's like, what, like, yes, you know, a cello can be this gorgeous instrument that has these beautiful melodic lines and can make, you know, a beautiful moment happen. But what happens if I just play a series of five notes in any order that don't typically go together and you get something like the Joker theory? Or what happens if I record in a studio that has no soundproofing where all the sound just bounces off of one another and then I expand it and you get something like Dune? Or what happens Mm. if, you know, I take a motif of two notes and compress it, expand it, you know, modulate it, do whatever, uh, and get the desired effect. It's like, it, you, you find new ways of using things that are pretty standard in music. And, and you're not afraid to say, this works, this doesn't, or this works, but this doesn't work for right now. Because um, I'm sure in his experimenting, there were some ideas that were duds <laughs> that didn't work, you know? But, you know, like I wouldn't be surprised if that uh, echo chamber recording idea was, you know, time number 10. And it just so happened that time number 10, or however many times it was before he landed on using it for Dune was the time that it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's tried different, you know, two or three or four note motifs and ideas, and maybe they didn't work for all the other projects, but they worked for the Joker, or they worked for Batman, or they worked for something, you know? Um, but I think that's what's gonna, that, that's, that's what it's going to take composers who wanna get on that level not being afraid of trying something and, and being a little unconventional. Yeah. Um, Th- throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a friend who's, who's doing, uh, who's in his masters, I believe for composition. Um, and he's, uh, he's done a couple of independent movies. Um, and he's done a couple of, he submitted for some, commercials and video games and stuff like that. But in like the the educational and like the 
training grounds for these composers. Um, a lot more of them are teaching these kids who are in grad school or even their undergrad for composition. A lot more of them are teaching them, you know, be a little unconventional, you know, find a different source of sound and how can you make that work? It doesn't have to be this long thing, you know, most of these assignments are probably like, can you make two minutes of music from an unconventional source or whatever, but slowly but surely teaching up and coming composers to not be afraid to go outside of the box if you want to, because it may work for something. It sure seems like the last, the last, I don't know, probably few years worth of big blockbusters have to some degree the, an aspect of that non-conventional composing. I watched the Multiverse of Madness last night mm -hmm. and um, there was, so the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, at its core, this is a horror movie. Mm -hmm. and then the second time I watched it and anybody who listens to this and it's like, no, that's not a horror movie. I'll, like, just trust me, go watch it again a second time and you'll realize that it's a horror movie. But anyway, mm -hmm. the music made me think even like I listened to the, I intentionally listened to the music last night because we were doing this today. And I was like, oh, 100% it's a horror movie. And it's got some of those um non-conventional sounds as as it were i, I just mm -hmm. imagine like taking a violin or something like that and just jerking the jerking the string um to get that that like horry type suspenseful surprise moment um mm -hmm. but to, to okay so to get off of the tangent there do you what, what is like as far as Dune is concerned, what do you think, what, and you don't have to hold it, keep it just to the one thing, but what innovative, so we just spent the last few minutes, like last 20 minutes talking about how Hans Zimmer is innovative, non-conventional, finds new things, new ways to present mm -hmm. things. What is that, that thing in Dune, like that separates it, that gives it its, airy open vibe with some minor insecurities and edgy sound dramatic sounds like what is that one thing and not in a particular moment but throughout the movie because like we talked about it at the very beginning is the music as a whole tends to shift with the vibe of the movie from beginning to end i think for dune I think the difference is um, well, for starters, I think the difference is how how he had to make the music because we realized this is this is one of the movies that was halted by COVID. Mm -hmm. And so in, you know, 2020, when you're 
when you're doing when you're still like doing the music for it because i think it said he started in 20 he started on the music in 2019 um but then you know it was going into 2020 but you know because of the pandemic and nobody was you couldn't meet in person with anybody you had to you had to get creative you had to embrace the digital age you had to create some sounds and so i think this is probably one of the first film scores that truly utilizes all of the bells and whistles of of cubase of that program that mm. he used i think this is one of the ones where you know you can just create you can create new sounds from existing sounds. You can combine sounds of instruments, um, stack them on top of each other and call it a new instrument or whatever. But mm -hmm. I think that's probably what's gonna set this aside from, from other movies for him especially, is that this is probably one of the first movies where he really had to rely on technology and, and um, like sound samples mm -hmm. to, score the movie um do you think that changed like do you think there's an aspect of like um like almost like a moving target type situation because i i had totally forgotten that this got delayed because of covid so obviously pre-production or when they had first started talking to him from the moment that he started like mentally jamming on jamming on what he was going to do, how he was going to do it, the type of music, et cetera. And obviously these are long-winded conversations that happen consistently over the production of the movie. But from right. the first time that he starts thinking about that, we're probably talking about 2018-ish, maybe even yeah. before that. Then from the time the movie was released, which was mid to late 2021, that's like a two or three year period. Yep. Music can change a lot. Yeah. Programs yeah. can change a lot. The, like yeah. the things that you're working with can change a lot. Do you see, do you think there is any kind of a, a moving target aspect there where he gets starts to this point, then delays happen, COVID hits, you, like there's like a, a slowing or a delay in production. And now it's like, oh shit, there's this new thing that I discovered that I can do and mm -hmm. let's throw out the baby with the bathwater and then just restart. Do you think there was any kind of an aspect like that with Dune or is there potentially just, was the music for this movie so epic because he had such a long time to work with it? I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's because he had so much time to work with it. So there were ideas shifting that were, you know, there was more time to shift through ideas than there normally would be in a production process. Um, you know, and there was probably a period of time where there was radio silence, where everything was just halted. I would think back around the March, April of 2020, when, when literally everyone was on pause because nobody knew what to do. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that for those three, four weeks, nobody from production was really saying anything about what to do next and so he probably had time to discover new things and and research this he doesn't strike me as a guy who sat on his hands um but rather without having direct marching orders as far as like yes no i like this feel i don't like this vibe can we take this and put it here mm -hmm. he's like okay let me see what i can do I can't meet with anybody. I can't have anybody come over. 
I can't rent studio time. I can't um, go into the soundstage. I can't go into production. I've got this computer program in front of me. Let me see what I can come up with. And I, and I truly think that that was part of his process. Um, and then, like you said, you know, production was halted for X amount of time. So that's just more time for him to work and fine tune some things and have more to bring back to production when it resumes to say, okay, yeah, this is what we, this is what we want. And you think of like, you know, the old school days where there would literally be these giant sound stages, these giant rooms where you'd have 80 people, an 80 person orchestra playing along to the movie, mm-hmm. right? You've got the conductor with the score and everyone's playing along to the actual movie. Um, whereas now, if you want to do that, sure. But it is just as easy to have people record their individual parts without even seeing the movie. Um, and I think the only time that would that would be negated is when you have vocals. And there was a choir. There were some choral moments. Um, I think anytime like the mom showed up, I think that was like a, a point. I think that was a thing um, for him. There were some like there was like a women's choir that like was a part of this too. But I imagine that even that had to be adjusted because in 2020, especially with choral singing, you know, which was touted as one of the big no-nos of COVID because you're spreading mm. aerosols as you sing. I can't imagine how that must have been. You know, you've got these people on like and, and people have tried to sing over FaceTime and Zoom in sync and it doesn't work. So you know, how do you, how do you replicate that? Well, you have everyone sing into their, into their phone. You send the music along, people sing to their phone, and then you get in that program and you mold and create the sound that you want to make versus having the ability to stand in front of people and, and help them mold it in person. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think this does kind of set a precedent for future uh, like music composition practices. Um, like I said, if you want to have that big room with everybody in it, singing along to the movie, that's fine. Um, but now that we've realized and had several movies that were post pandemic that have had their movies, you know, that have been scored, um, I think we're going to see a lot more of the uh, digital music composition coming into play. Yeah, that I have, I have not seen Top Gun Maverick yet, but I would say that that's probably right there. Yeah, with Dune because yeah. pre-production, production, and post-production were probably all around the same time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just imagine that they're they were probably a little more picky with the release of Maverick since it was, you know, 30 years in the making or whatever. Right. Um, and I know Batman was the Batman with um, <clears throat> Pattinson was in a similar boat with some of their yeah. production stuff. Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting and neither one of those movies I've seen yet. So it'd be interesting to, it'll be interesting to watch those with the context of this conversation. Uh, And to go back to what you had originally said, as far as the innovation and things like that, he, Hans Zimmer definitely strikes me as the kind of guy that would be 
shopping for a pressure washer in a hardware store and then get inspired by somebody dropping a bunch of nuts and bolts three aisles down and just to be like, oh shit. And then go, you know, bang, write some banger for a blockbuster movie. Yeah. He definitely seems like that kind of a dude. Yes. I, fully. <laughs> like, uh, there's, and, and you know, what's funny is that that's kind of, that's that, um, that move or that that impetus is is coming across in like pop music too because you look at um you look at uh charlie puth um phineas o'connell who's uh billy eilish's brother mm-hmm. um they charlie puth does this thing on on tiktok where someone will send him an acoustic sound of i, I think one Someone actually just sent me one of uh, somebody swinging and the swing creak, right? Because mm-hmm. an old swing. So the creak from the hinges made two different notes. Um, and Charlie Puth was like, oh, that's this note and this note. And then he took that and ran with it. Someone oh. else sent him uh, a video of someone throwing a ball down one of those, uh, you know, when they, the pipes that just get left after construction. Um, <laughs> someone threw a ball down that pipe and Charlie Puth was like, okay, that's this note, this note, this note. And he takes that and, and, and creates a, a beat from it, you know, creates a track from it. Um, I think Phineas, when they were doing Billie Eilish's first album, they took something like the sound of the crosswalk beep. They took a refrigerator door opening and closing <laughs> and like some footsteps. And like did this whole and like made it into a beat but it's like it's that it's the walking down the hardware store hearing nails on the floor saying oh and there are just some people whose minds just automatically work like that like that's not the average person but people who people who think like that are not going to create the average movie score it's going to yeah. be something impactful because they're always listening and it goes back to what composers want people to do is to listen yeah. and see how what they've done elevates the emotions you're feeling in that moment in the movie. 100%. I can get behind that for sure. It's, I think you really, it's kind of like what I was talking about earlier, where the things that separate the good from the great. And I, I, I think you hit it on the head where, some people's brains just operate on a different level with things like that and the inspiration and where they, you know, they're like, they're always looking for that thing, whether they're intentionally doing it or not, they're all, the brain is always in a position to look for that next thing. So that you never know when inspiration is going to hit and music, I would imagine is, you know, I have no experience writing songs or composing, but I would imagine that it's very similar to that where, inspiration could strike at any moment. Yep. Um, so <clears> Han, <throat> the, the Dune soundtrack is, so we, we, you know, some we've talked about some of the challenges that were faced with this or the dauntingness, if you will, of doing a soundtrack like this. 
some of the things that he did and the way that he approached it, his ability to take older sounds, synthesize them or update them, quoting fingers in the air and make them more modernized. Like with all of that being said, what do, what is it that, um, see how to how to put this there's like how do you feel that this movie will carry that the composing or the score of this movie will carry into the next one do you think it's gonna be another like inspiration inspired groundbreaking score that is obviously not going to be drastically different, but like how much different do you think and the inspiration and the foundation of what we've seen in the first or heard, I should say in the first one, how do you think that's going to affect, or what do you think that's going to look like and, and unpack the scoring or your anticipation of the scoring in the second one? I, I think we're going to see a lot of carryover. Um, I think there will be some reappearances of what he did for this one, but also just knowing how Zimmer works, I do think there will be some new sounds. I do think that he will have some new stuff where... Uh, Keep going, because my follow-up was going to be, what is it that you mean by new sounds? Uh, unpack that. So, I mean, in this, in this one, he, he took, he would take, you know, instrument sample sounds and stack them on top of each other to essentially create a new instrument if you will, mm -hmm. uh, in, this, in this computerized software program. Um, he would take, you know, a sample of, and I, I didn't say like what specifically, but he said, you know, he would take um, different sample sounds and stack them and expand them and create a new instrument. And I think that's, I think he's gonna keep going that route. Um, I also think, that we might hear a little bit more activity because if I'm not mistaken, the second one is supposed to be a little bit more involved. There's supposed to be a little bit more action. Yes. And so I, will, I would think that we'll probably hear one of his most active scores because I don't think he's, I don't think we've ever gotten something from him that's really, really, uh, Active meaning there's multiple layers and pulses happening, right? We might get more percussion involvement. We might get more vocal involvement. We might get more, uh, more articulations from strings than just playing one note for a really long time. Um, I think this one will be a little bit more, yeah, involved and active uh, to, to mimic the 
the higher level of activity that's going to happen in the second one, which I think is really exciting because um, it'll be something different uh, and interesting to hear and see how it plays together with uh, the rest of the movie. Okay, so until you use the word mimic and different, I was going to say it sounds like you are expecting more of an expansion on the work that he's already done. But when you use the word mimic and different, it makes me think now maybe he's going to work with a new foundation using the same blueprint. Is, is that what, like, what do you, what do you think in there as far as like, let me, okay. So let me, let me kind of dive into that a little bit. So I would imagine that if, if it were me, and I've got these sounds and ideas and these thoughts that I've already put into the movie for part one, I would take basically that same context and same blueprint and the same foundation of work that I'd already done and build on it. So do you think it's going to be like a shake the etch a sketch and just start over with what I know? Or do you think it's going to be more of like a, Hey, we crushed it on this. So let's take this and just tweak it just a little bit and add some stuff and take some stuff away. So it's basically, instead of starting over from scratch, it's just take another shot with what we've got. I think with some things, it's going to be one way and with some things, it's going to be another. Ooh, if we're okay. getting introduced to new characters, I guarantee you he's going to introduce a new thing. Yeah, if we're getting introduced okay. to new, if we're getting introduced to new characters, and if we're getting introduced to new settings, then I I fully believe that we're gonna get a new sound for those people. Because that's kind of composing um, one hundred and one, right? Each character yes. has their own, yeah. like you know, totally. sequence of notes and their totally. own. Okay, okay, totally. Um, and yeah, so I think that. But then I think also like we're gonna see some recurring themes, you know, like the. Uh, when the the sandworm shows up, or when there's when they use the voice, or when they um, when they're traveling, you know, I think we're gonna get some some reprises of stuff from the first one in those moments. But I do think, yeah, when we get introduced to new people and new surroundings and new conflicts, we're gonna get some new sounds and what is totally you know up in the air because now we're post-pandemic he can grab people he can collaborate with people in person in real time mm -hmm. so you know and, and, and I think the one thing also that 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 people who don't really look into movie composition especially realize is that it's not a one-man job you know um you've got collaborators you've got contributors and mm -hmm. so he might be able to meet with brand new collaborators and contributors who can add their own spin on something else. And, and that'll be so, you know, because I think, uh, I think there were two main collaborators on this one. No word if those two collaborators are coming back for Dune 2. So he could have two brand new people or three brand new people who have completely different sound that he yeah. likes and that he melds with his sound. And so we might get something totally new in that way. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people don't realize how much 
the director has, like how oh, much yeah. say, how much input, how much collaboration, yeah. how much, and, and ultimately really that in, and what I think is, is why I'm very much a, like a, if the director has a good track record and the director does a good job, I will mm -hmm. all like, I'm willing to say that's going to be a good movie strictly because of the director. And that's because yeah. really the buck stops with them. They are the yeah. law when it comes to a movie. Yeah. And I, I think just in the research that I've done for my conversations with you and ever since I started doing the podcast is there is a lot of collaboration and input and long, long, long winded yes. conversations between yep. the composer, mm -hmm. his team mm -hmm. and the director. Yeah. Um, and because Villanueva is doing the second one, Mm -hmm. I would imagine that there's going to be an aspect of kind of like what you were saying. And I think the word that I would use to add to what you were saying is strength yeah. in the score. Yeah. Um, so if you think of it, like if you think of it on a scale of one to one to 100 or percentage wise, mm -hmm. You know, let's say that that score, the score for the first one was, you know, 93% accurate to what the movie was feeling, what it was trying to accomplish and the scenes and the characters and the environment and all that stuff. I think strength of it would be kind of the my way of saying, well, it won't be 93%, it'll probably be 97% now because they worked together. Um, and this is, I think, is like the third or fourth movie together, but because of the collaborators that are going to come in with fresh ideas and, you know, it's just going to strengthen the composing as a whole and make it better yes. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. Yeah, totally. No, I, I, I completely agree. I think all the, it's just going to be improved in terms of its effectiveness. Um, but yeah, totally. I, I think, yeah, people just don't know, like, a mute, the music to a movie is a team of people. It's a good 15 to 20 people from engineers to copyists to a legal team to, uh, you know, head composer. Then you've got contributing composers. Um, you know, a music yeah, team can be a pretty hefty group of people. And not all of them, like you said, the legal team, not all of them on that composing team are carrying or holding an instrument. Right, exactly, and 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 yet still com, uh, contributing to the actual music itself, um, which I thought was really interesting in some of the stuff that I was. I think I want to say I want to say the Last Samurai was like that. I can't remember who did that movie, but I, I vaguely remember. I remember reading an uh, like an article or an interview how they had brought in. Um, I don't remember the term or the title of these people, but basically they were like musical historians almost yep. with the cultural aspect of Japan. And they, they had a strong input and say, not really say, but a strong input in the collaboration of the music there in that movie. Uh, and so I was like, Oh shit. And that's, that's kind of where I, I started to dive in a little bit of like, oh, a composer is more than just a bunch of, you know, 80 people inside of a room doing music while the guy stands up in front one with the movie playing in the background, that, right. that traditional John Williams kind of image that you have in your head when it comes to composing. But 
uh, I thought it was really interesting, like the input that people have and the amount of effort that goes into the composing beyond just the actual instruments. Right. But anyway, I, that's pretty much, we covered everything that I wanted to talk about and I don't want to take too much more of your time. Um, so I appreciate your time to come on and talk about doing the soundtrack. Yeah, of course. It's always fun. I, it was a good time. I, and Liz, I'm always down for the next time too. I guarantee <laughs> you there will be another conversation to be had and I am all for it. 100%. I'm looking forward to it, man. Well, I will let you get going and we'll talk soon, I'm sure. And then when this yeah. drops, I'll make sure to, to tag you on the socials and the interwebs and all that stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. So that was my talk with Kent Wilson. As you can tell, we surprisingly stayed on focus and on task with the topic at hand being Dune and the soundtrack, and more specifically, Hans Zimmer and his um, innovative approach to doing music and composing for movies. And I really look forward to part two of Dune and what he's got in store as far as the music that, in my opinion, really elevated the movie into a kind of a, a next level production. If you haven't seen it, I hope you get the chance to watch the movie. It's um, being frank, it's pretty badass. I really liked the movie. I liked the original one from 1984. The new one is just as, if not better, just as good, if not better. So <clears throat> don't take my word for it. Go, go watch it, rent it, check it out. It's on HBO max. Uh, it will definitely be worth your time to watch it. Uh, and last but not least, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. Any audience or anybody that's willing to listen and subscribe is, is worth it for me to do these podcasts and help kind of expand perspective and teach and educate on movies and cinema and hopefully uh, just kind of talking through things. Hopefully you listen. I really enjoy talking about theorizing about and um, taking a new look and an artistic look through point of view of people that we interview here. And uh, so just go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, share it with friends and family uh, that you might think might be interested. And I appreciate you as a listener. And um, I thank you for it. <laughs>